speak primarily to the U.S. model of the ESOP, the Employee Stock Ownership Plan, um, just because I have much more uh, knowledge familiarity with it. In the U.K., there's a huge explosion of employee ownership through EOTs, Employee Ownership Trusts. Any company can uh, put in good communication, culture, education, learning and development, safe uh, working environment, engaging people through continuous improvement, all of those wonderful things which are going to make for a more productive, safer, more enjoyable workplace. When you think about the, the pizza pie and the, the age-old thing that if you gave a slice of that pizza to your employees with incentives that the more they grow that, that pie, the bigger their piece is. Well, by giving them a piece of that pie, if you can uh, grow that pie, then you're going to more than make up for the slice that you've given away. Welcome back to the Raw Selection Private Equity Podcast. Joining us today is Daniel Goldstein, former Chief Executive Officer of Foliance, now board member and employee ownership advocate. Today's all about how can we improve our employee engagement. Daniel's a big advocate of employee ownership, and he actually ran a private equity model that bought and sold businesses, but had full employee ownership. So it's really interesting how they engaged with employees and brought them into, into the business and everybody had a piece in his share. Something completely unique I've never heard of in my uh, time with uh, within the private equity industry. So let's check it out. Here's Daniel. Daniel, as is customary on the Private Equity Podcast, if you could give us a 60 to 90 second breakdown of you, please. Great. Cut me off if I go over, Alex. Good to be here. Uh, Daniel Goldstein, first generation American. I spend a lot of my life working outside the U.S. My earlier career was in the family office, family business, family investment space. Uh, eight years ago, got into the employee uh, ownership space. There's a uh, good continuum between family-owned businesses and uh, employee-owned businesses, and even how they interrelate on the spectrum with private equity. And I'm sure we'll get into that. So I'll give back a little bit more time uh, on that intro so we can get down to some other questions. Absolutely. So uh, we're definitely going to dive into uh, that employee-owned model, even if you're not interested in an employee-owned model, and it's this is fairly unique from a what we'll go into what what works at Foliance and how they built basically a private equity model with an employee employee owned uh, basis. Um, but what we can do is learn about how do we treat our employees better, how do we put them first, and how do we utilize them. Which you know the method, the message between between a lot of private equity firms is that they don't look after employees. And uh, you know I would heavily disagree with that. You may disagree with uh, you may agree with that statement, Daniel. And I'm <laughs> absolutely happy to have a discussion around it. Um, but um, you know, there's definitely something we can learn because there's uh, no smoke without fire uh, on that uh, on that basis. So I'm intrigued, Daniel. What one mistake do you see either private equity firms or portfolio companies making, and what would you suggest to correct them? Well, of course, and and I think this is going to get into our our, our uh, sparring, not taking the long term view and not putting uh, the employees' interests. Uh, further um, up in the list of priorities. So um, family-owned businesses are always referred to as long-term patient capital. Um, Employee-owned businesses are very similar with the difference being the ownership structure that rather than having concentrated ownership among uh, uh, family, that it's broad-based ownership across the employee base. 
So um, is that a mistake? It's a difference in model. And that's why I've spent the last eight years working on this model, because I find that it's a very effective model for helping employees, their families, and their communities thrive, keeping jobs uh, local, and uh, keeping brands legacies invested in as well as the communities. Okay, so we're going to dive into it. The So the private equity, basically, Foliant was, a, from my research, was a private equity model, but entirely owned by the employees. Now, is that the employees of Foliant or is that the employees of the portfolio companies of Foliant or everybody that they acquired and ran through? So just give us a bit of context there. Sure. And I'd love to know why on earth you did that and uh, yep. what drove it. Absolutely. And with the uh, upfront disclaimer that I'm not speaking for Foliance, I am the former uh, president and CEO of the company. So I'm just speaking to information which is available in the public domain. The company had started in 1883, 100 years later, uh, family owned in the fourth and fifth generation. They started a partial ESOP employee stock ownership plan. In 2012, it became 100% employee owned. In 2015, they sold their 62-year-old broadcast business and were once again back to being primarily a newspaper as far as where the revenue was being generated. So they had a very strong balance sheet, but had uh, pretty much killed the income generation. When I was brought in in early 2016, it was with the idea of reallocating the assets that had been put on the balance sheet to acquire new revenue. Uh, to humbly bring the company forward to the next 130 years. And so I set up what I called a platform for professional ownership and growth. And this will be very familiar to your uh, listeners that it was basically to build a platform in which you could acquire companies to add to the platform. The main difference being, of course, that it was the employees that were the owners. And it is a consolidation into one ESOP, which meant that when we uh, went from being primarily media companies to acquiring an ambulance manufacturing business, then everybody was an owner in the whole, all those employees. And the same when we went on to acquire a horse and livestock trailer manufacturing business and then greatly grow that business. It was all wrapped up into one ESOP. So I make the analogy, it's a little bit like um, in your own uh, personal brokerage or retirement account, you don't just own one stock. You usually have a basket of stocks or mutual funds. And in much the same way, an employee-owned portfolio of companies has that diversification, both to weather volatility amongst the companies in the portfolio, but also the ownership that the employee uh, owners have in owning a piece of all those companies in the portfolio. But very similar to a private equity roll-up, it is a platform, a platform for professional ownership and growth. There is a shared services core that was both the attractor to companies to join the platform and then would support the ongoing operations and growth uh, of the portfolio companies. Okay, so it's a, it's an interesting platform. It's actually something that we're seeing more and more of in the in the UK. Um, uh, I think a lot of them, uh, of companies would say it's to the benefit of the employees, but it's actually a really tax efficient way of of uh, 
um, of owners of businesses to do exits where they can't sell and they don't want to pay tax on that uh, on, on that sale. So, you know, every uh, every cloud, um, uh, as they say, well, that's, uh, I think, a big driver for a lot of people. But just focusing on this, so we've got, so talk to us a little bit how it owned, because I know that if I'm, you know, if I'm private equity uh, managing partner, partner listening right now, and I was like, Christ, if all of our portfolio companies was owned by our our employees, um, we'd have a big fight or they would probably envisage a big fight, a big argument as to what would happen and what would do. So the ownership sits with them. I'd be interested to know how that ownership sits. And then secondly, I'd be interested to know where the decision-making and the responsibility on the organizing, organization sits because if everyone's got a shout on what's going on, I would envisage that, I may be wrong, that nothing would ever get decision, no, no decision would ever be made. Sure, absolutely. And I, I'm going to speak primarily to the US model of the ESOP, the Employee Stock Ownership Plan, um, just because I have much more uh, knowledge, familiarity with it. In the UK, there's a huge explosion of employee ownership through EOTs, employee ownership trusts. And those are uh, set up differently also because there are different tax laws regimes um, in the, the different uh, countries. And before I get to those last two questions, the, the primary difference um, that your your listeners are also going to uh, be thinking about is their own uh, compensation. And so I, I often run into a friend of mine who uh, runs a private equity firm. And every time he says, tell me again how this works. And I, I know where he's going. I say, Bill, look, I, as an employee owner and a, a chief executive officer of an employee-owned company, even if it's a holding company, a platform of uh, with a portfolio, I, I'm paid as an executive. I do have, did have synthetic equity, but I'm not getting the stake that you're getting as the GP of your own private equity uh, fund or investment portfolio. And so it, it, that that's one of the big differences personally. And I was perfectly happy with the, the compensation that I was getting to do that. On the ownership side, um, an ESOP is a trust, and so like any trust, there is a trustee, and while it, it is perfectly fine to call employees employee owners, technically you might think of them as beneficial owners, just like uh, in a trust. So what does that mean? Em employee owners don't buy or sell uh, stock in the company or hold stock certificates. They accrue value. They don't pay for the uh, value that they're getting. They earn it. I used to use the term that it was free because they don't pay for it. And uh, our employee owners got a little upset because they said, we work really hard for that. So I say that it is earned. And it is literally an equation of you invest your, your labor to earn equity in the company. And so they, they earn that ownership. But it is a beneficial ownership. And there's a difference between being an owner or, or the owner of a company and having shared ownership. So shared ownership is more about shared value. And then there's a lot of education and communication that goes into helping employee owners understand the direct line of sight between what they're doing every day, which contributes to the growth, profitability, innovation, safety, quality of the company, which is going to accrue greater wealth to them through that beneficial ownership. But they, they aren't an owner or the owner, which means ESOPs are still businesses. You need to have the right people at every level in the company making decisions. And just as it would not be helpful for 
somebody from production without the skills training, financial or business literacy to be coming in and making decisions about capital structuring or compensation strategies at the uh, C-suite of the uh, ESOP, it would be just as ineffective for me to go down to tell a welder how to better do their job when I don't have the training or expertise. So ESOPs are not ruled by committee. They do tend towards much greater transparency and inclusion of people that are more closely directed to where the work is being done, being involved in the decisions and input to how to decide uh, how to do uh, the work. But there's still a uh, need for having the right people in the right place. And recently somebody was uh, asking me and they said, well, so there's a hierarchy. I said, you know, hierarchy is not a bad word. It, it's kind of like accountability. If accountability becomes punitive, it's a bad word. When accountability is what we do to hold ourselves towards our values and, and follow through on what we say we're going to do, then it's a good word. Hierarchy is really just a, a physical description of getting the right people into the right place. So no different from any other uh, company. More transparency. Not only am I the host of the Private Equity Podcast, but I'm also the founder and managing partner of Raw Selection. Raw Selection is a private equity specialist executive search firm with two divisions, one that focuses on portfolio, C-suite executive hires, and one that focuses on private equity direct hires of your back office and investment deal professionals to the industry. Alongside the podcast, we're passionate about giving back to the industry and giving people information that they can run and utilize. One thing we do regularly every year is we run salary reports on accurate live data of people that we've interviewed and people that have shared their information with us. So if you're looking to compare your current compensation or your compensation for your next hire in your private equity firm or portfolio company, then please check out our YouTube channel and see the playlist of salary surveys. So two questions here. One, if an employee leaves, do they does their do they have a liquidity event equivalent of a payout of their equity in 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 however it's described? And secondly, when a port you obviously built basically a private equity model within a different without an LP structure, if you will. Um, if a portfolio company sold, how does that work with regards to does it go money go back into the trust? What happens sure. there as well? Sorry, I'm asking two questions. Which is no, that's great. Podcasting. I'm keeping notes. Um, so I make sure to answer both. Okay, but I don't so want to. First... I don't want to forget them because I'll listen to the next bit and I'll forget it. So, no, I, I'm keeping note, Alex. So, so the first part: when when employee owners leave, that is how they access their value. And so, whether okay. it's through um, any form of termination, it, it, you know, if they quit, resigned, or fired, uh, disability, death, uh, w whatever it is. Um, that's when they, they get access to the value of their account. And again, speaking about the U.S. model, the ESOP model, it is a qualified retirement plan on, uh, that was enacted under ERISA legislation. So if you're um, below retirement age, you can access the money, but you'll there are punitive uh, taxes, interest fee, uh, penalties, whatever. Um, otherwise, you would roll it over into a qualified um, retirement plan. Um, and there, there are different ways that different plans are set up. Most of them have a vesting schedule. It's very typical to have a six-year vesting where your first year you don't own anything that is put into your account, and then it's 20%, 40%, 60%, 80%, and so on. 
with the idea being that um, this is not a get rich quick scheme. Mm -hmm. It's intended to uh, have long tenured employees that build up the wealth over the time as they're committed to uh, the, the, their company. From the portfolio side, and, and there are many, many ESOPs that are just single companies. There's this uh, greater tendency to build portfolio uh, of companies within an ESOP. And quite frankly, it's because there's a lot of data that shows that employee-owned companies do have a competitive advantage, some because of the tax and fiscal reasons, some because of this um, capitalistic but collaborative way to work towards more innovation, productivity, et cetera. And so with the excess uh, cash that is being generated by these businesses, they're investing by uh, adding to their portfolio. Some may be very uh, closely related businesses, which are uh, increasing geography, distribution, uh, acquiring talent, competitors, and some are unrelated companies uh, like the Folance portfolio. If a portfolio company is sold, then the owners within that company, because everyone is an employee owner, they would be cashed out of their ownership because they're leaving the portfolio with that company. Okay. But everybody within the portfolio owns a piece of the whole. And so what is left would come back to the ESOP and it would either be reinvested through future acquisitions or investing for organic growth within existing companies. Um, if there's a premium and it drives up the equity price, then that equity appreciation, that capital appreciation is uh, shared by, by all the employee owners. Um, but it's not like they are given a cash out usually right then because there, there is a, a annual way that stock is allocated. It's more just that as that equity value goes up, they'll see that capital appreciation in their accounts and whatever liquidity comes back to the ESOP to the company is going to be uh, reallocated again for organic growth, for expansion, um, acquiring more technology or, or doing acquisitions. Okay, thanks for sharing that. It gives a lot of clarity. So, I um I know you're well. I'm guessing uh, Daniel that you're in an employee ownership champion, and you you believe heavily in it, hence your involvement in it and everything you've done. Um, I'm not naive enough, and and I hope neither of you that we're going to turn everybody's heads in private equity no. and suddenly turn things. So let's think about how we can actually um how do private equity. So if I'm a private equity professional. I'm a CEO of a portfolio company. How do I better engage? How do I better win over the people, the talented individuals within our organizations without switching to an employee ownership? What are some of the things that happen sure. as, as part of that, which you could do without the ownership part? You just need to change the leadership style, culture, whatever it would be. Sure, absolutely. Um, so let me give a, a little bit of an, an analogy. Um, for over 20 years, one of my uh, primary focuses in philanthropy has been around programs for children with serious illness. And these are programs that help them grow beyond their comfort zone, challenge themselves in a safe environment so that they'll learn better self-reliance and uh, self-worth and all that. And the truth is that while these programs that I've been working with are primarily focused on children with serious illness because they've uh, had so many other factors get in the way of their development, that 
any children and you know with the air quotes of healthy children that don't have serious illness they would all benefit from this because it's just simply how do you uh, give through a safe challenge by choice means for for children to better develop and so to get to the answer to your question any company can uh, put in good communication culture education learning and development safe uh, working environment, engaging people through continuous improvement, all of those wonderful things, which are going to make for a more productive, safer, more enjoyable workplace where people can bring their full selves to, to work, to get engaged. The main difference with an employee ownership company is that you do have that extra lever that um, you're, you're getting a greater financial benefit to the employees as well. However, it's not the only way to do that. Um, when companies do profit sharing, um, they don't have to be employee owned, then that's a way of financially uh, benefiting the employees as you get them engaged. And that gets a little bit more to the um, EOT model, the employee ownership trust model, which is more prevalent in the UK and outside the US, that there is really not that piece of capital appreciation that the ESOP has, which is held until retirement. It's more of a year-by-year -year, uh, payout, which looks uh, very similar to profit sharing. And that gets to also the point that it's not either or. And, and so another analogy, um, very early on before people talked about ESG, I think it was SRI or CSR, um, I, I worked across a uh, spectrum. And this was in the family office, family business, family investment, family foundation field. And so at one end, you have charities, which it's it's just donation, and there's really not even much measure. Then people started getting into, well, let's measure, let's look at impact. So you have the impact philanthropy that starts to blend with the uh, impact investing, impact businesses, going to businesses, which you know somebody could say are just held by either families, investors, whatever. There's a spectrum and spectrums are important because at different times, different places, there are going to be different points along those spectrums. And similarly, there's a spectrum for ownership. So um, on the far end, maybe it's a co-op where it's uh, one vote per employee, which is very different from the ESOP model. Then you might get to the ESOP or the EOT model. Um, and I wanna come back to partial uh, employee ownership in a moment on that. And then you get to other models, which are more like the profit sharing. Um, there's the model that uh, has been very um, prominently talked about uh, that Pete Stavros has been using, which um, is a little bit more like a profit sharing model, not, not really profit sharing. It's more that um, in the waterfall, that when there's a liquidity event and a deal is done, that employees uh, may participate in that. And then getting to the uh, farther end where employees don't have any profit sharing, any stake in the business, and they're just working for their wages. Now, is there one point on the spectrum where every company should be? Absolutely not. It, it, it doesn't make sense for the economics of the companies, for the tax regimes, for lots of other uh, important differentiators. I, I think what's important though with the spectrum is just to be able to discern what are the differences between those points. So there is a big difference between something which is primarily profit sharing and something which has broad-based ownership. Th those are very different points on the spectrum, both 
potentially valid, um, but uh, just very different. Some Something that I wanted to come back to, Alex, was partial. And so this is where there could be um, some interest among the private equity field of how do you get a company to be more productive by giving the employees a piece of the company. So employee ownership does not have to be zero or a hundred. And there are a lot of uh, companies that have been family owned or have other uh, ownership structures, which have been uh, put in place of partial ownership, uh, employee ownership. And when you think about the the pizza pie and the, the age old thing that if you gave a slice of that pizza to your employees, with incentives that the more they grow that that pie, the bigger their piece is. Well, by giving them a piece of that pie, if you can uh, grow that pie, then you're going to more than make up for the slice that you've given away. And so to put it in really cold terms, it's going to be better off for both parties by doing that. And that's a way that private equity, family owners, private shareholders, that they can start to just see, is this something that they want to be doing to get their employees involved? Because it can be a win-win for everyone. Do you, and just looking at the the kind of ground level of of what this creates, um, I'm, I don't know because I've not been in that environment, but I'm I'm going to make the assumption that in, in essence, the advert is that you have more engaged employees, that you have um, people that feel involved and included and therefore higher production levels. Do you think that's purely down to the the additional incentivization from a from basically a capital perspective, or do you think that it creates a difference because um, I'm not going to put it down to kind of involvement and inclusion? Do, mm -hmm. do you think there's a link there, or is it is it you know what what do you think is is you know drives that perceived or actual? Um, and, employee increased output in essence, I suppose. Sure. And and there is data that actually um, documents this and, and across um, now across different uh, countries as well. I, I, I unfortunately don't remember the name, but if people look up ownership at work, which is UK independent think uh, tank, they've just uh, published some groundbreaking um documentation of employee-owned companies having that competitive advantage in the UK. Um, we, we've had that same data in the US for quite some time. If you go to the National Center for Employee Ownership, um, you'll you'll find that. So why is there that advantage? Again, there are tax and fiscal advantages, talking about the uh, US ESOP model. Uh, ESOPs do not pay state and federal uh, corporate income tax. And so that is reinvested in the business over the long term, and that certainly has an advantage. Now, it's not that they don't pay tax when somebody leaves, as we were talking about before, and accesses that value. When they draw it down as retirement income, then they're, they're taxed as retirement income, very similar to the U.S. 401k model. But then there is that um, inclusion, and that's where ESOPs tend towards greater transparency and inclusion, because by bringing employees in to get better engaged in their ownership, then you get all these stories of how employees came up with just really innovative ways to redesign the workflow or the product design, the, the customer experience. And, uh, and safety. And, and so you, you see employees taking more ownership in actually changing the business for the better. 
because they they it and it's not just the financial benefit. I, I often say that I, I didn't know a single employee owner that came in in the morning, called up their account, looked at what the value was, and said, "Okay, I'm motivated." But on the other hand, um, at Foliance, we had employees that had uh, 45 years tenure with the company, and it's because they really developed that that bond, that that feeling of um, satisfaction and, and inclusion and family and and being a part of that. Uh, company. So th there, there absolutely is a drive to that. And again, that's why, you know, but let's leave this as a takeaway, given it halfway through. Um, I, I think your listeners should think about doing a partial uh, employee ownership, if that's allowable in their, their jurisdiction to do that, because that uh, can really stimulate that, that engagement of the employees. Not only am I the host of the Private Equity Podcast, I'm also the founder and managing partner of Raw Selection. Raw Selection's an executive search firm working exclusively within the private equity industry, supporting the portfolio companies and the private equity firms with securing exceptional talent with our motto of de-risking executive search. Do you think that that environment could be created without, and I'm not trying to push away from an employment model, but if somebody can't, do you think that that environment could create be created um, by a firm, um, whether it be through a property or whatever else? But if I think about how, how do we actually make employees feel more wanted, more um, valued and, and driven in there? And if nobody can do anything from this podcast, what what could they do that's that, that drives that engagement from an employee level? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and so let me do the financial side first, but then go the cultural side after. So on the financial side, there are myriad ways of doing it. You can without having to go through legislative change or regulation or whatever. You can do profit sharing, you can do options, you can do synthetic equity. And that that's not unknown for you know, startups giving the options and the warrants and all that to more established businesses building and profit sharing based on production goals and, and all that. On the cultural side, just giving more transparency and engagement to your employees. And that doesn't mean that you have to go full open book management, you know, use the traffic light uh, system. Um, when, when do things look like they're in the green? When do they look like yellow? We need to be careful. Red, we've, we've got problems. Um, use percentages. Um, explain to employees how their work actually uh, impacts the, the the bottom line or and the top line of the business and um, then it, it's also just recognition and appreciation it is amazing how much it it goes to just recognize and appreciate people now of course it, it's going to be a little hollow if you don't competitively uh pay them and give them adequate uh, benefits and all that. But most people just want to be welcome, valued, respected, and heard. And so it, it takes almost nothing to just uh, show appreciation for people, follow through. One of the simplest techniques that I've ever heard is get a big uh, piece of plywood and paint a uh, line down the middle of it. On one side, what we heard from you. So, you know, continuous improvement, suggestions, things to improve the, the workplace. On the other side, what we did. Right. You put that up and wow, you don't have to have an ESOP. Now, it'd be good to get a partial one. <laughs> but um, so, yes, again, going back to uh, that thing of working with the kids with serious illness, 
you don't have to have employee ownership to treat your employees well. And we, we've seen that throughout the centuries, especially with um, you know historic family-owned businesses that have been multi-generational and just built a, a lot of uh, brand, uh, both, both with, within their community, their employees, but in their industry as well. And it, it's just by treating their employees well. So a simple message. Uh, well delivered, Daniel. Thank you. Um, I was really, I was really, um, really intrigued by the model. Really intrigued by how the private equity model was run, and you're giving a really clear explanation of that. So thank you very much for that, uh, Daniel. What What are your influences? What do you read? What do you watch? What do you listen that you would recommend that other listeners check out? Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, one of the uh, big things that everybody's going to be aware of um, is what we refer to as the silver tsunami. And I first started uh, talking about this, thinking about this in the early 2000s, again, long before I had really uh, learned anything about employee ownership. And it's this big transfer of wealth as the baby boomer generation is aging out. And that transition of wealth may just be inheritance of wealth, but it's also transitioning ownership of businesses. And so, um, you know, one of the things is just read anything, get informed about anything about this generational shift that's going on. It's uh, been said to uh, be the, the largest transition of wealth in our history. Um, beyond that, um, a, a great book um, for learning more about the foundations of employee ownership is called The Citizen's Share, and it's written by uh, Joseph Blasey, Doug Cruz, and a couple others who I, uh, I'm not coming to mind right now. Um, something that I've been doing personally is, like I said, I've just uh, retired, although I'm not using that word, from being uh, president and CEO of Folance. And I've become a fellow at the Rutgers Institute for the Study of Employee Ownership and Profit Sharing, and also at that UK uh, independent think tank called Ownership at Work. And so it's really fun because I get to go back to being a little bit of a grad student again with advisors. And so I'm just reading a lot of the academic uh, work that's uh, being developed right now around the space. Um, and just, uh, you know, also histories of companies, um, th those are, are very good. There, there are a couple good books. If you go out to the National Center for Employee Ownership, they, they've got a lot of resources that are listed on their website as well. The first point you made with regards to the transference of wealth, that's really interesting. It's not something I've come across or even thought about before, but now you mentioned it, it seems pretty obvious. What's your depiction of that? Are you seeing that as a, a level of, um, I mean, with every threat comes an opportunity, but do you see that as more of a cause of concern or more of a cause for um, for opportunity? Both. And, and, and that's where... Um... You know, are, are you going to look at the the half full or half empty uh, argument? And so, what the, the issue is that transition of ownership. So, what what do you do if you're a closely held or family owned uh, enterprise, and you're getting to an age where you need to pass it on? Um, you may have heirs who are capable and interested in taking that. You may not. Um, there may be a uh, interested buyer, whether it's private equity, uh, strategic financial, somebody who's a competitor looking to to increase their market share. You may not have that either. Um, you may be able to do a management buyout. 
Um, not everyone has that uh, ability to take on that, that risk with their own personal assets. And so a lot of companies uh, may also just wind down or close. And um, oftentimes with that transfer of ownership, they may also be taken out of the local community. So that's where, again, I'm not going to say that this is the right answer for every transition and it's not the better one. It is an alternative path that if you can um, reward your employees, and that reward is not a charitable term, you reward them by transitioning ownership at fair market value to your employees, then you're recognizing the effort that they've made in helping you build your, your, your business and quite frankly, your, your, your wealth. You're making a commitment to your brand, to the legacy of the brand, but to your employees and to your community. And there's even um, taking that to the extreme, there have been concerns about national security as um, companies with technology are up for sale, that if they're bought by foreign uh, competitors with the idea of taking IP, exporting it out of that, not, not just that community, but that country, there, there are even some uh, national security concerns around these transitions. Um, I can, I, I don't know if you include links, um, if people, uh, Google yeah, my sure. name and Regis Capital, I, uh, published an article about the silver tsunami. I think it was a year or two years ago, um, which people may find interesting. The name the silver snout as well. Bring some, uh, uh, weird thoughts. Um, so Danny, if anybody wants to, to reach out to you, uh, how best do they get in touch, please? Well, the U.S., what you do when you're in my position is you got, you open an LLC, and that is not uh, because I'm a consultant. I'm not looking for consulting work. I am not a consultant. However, my LLC is Go ESOP LLC, and so very okay. easy, GoESOPLLC at gmail.com or just look for me on LinkedIn. I am always happy to have a uh, conversation with somebody to help uh, debunk the myths. Um, ESOPs, employee-owned companies, are not the more complicated, more costly route. They um, can be highly effective, highly efficient, and they're not going to be right for everyone. And one thing that I would absolutely say, if you have a company that has too much debt, not enough profitability, please do not make an employee-owned. That is just really unfair to your employees. Um, there are some people that uh, think that employee ownership is just a means for selling companies that don't have other buyers and the 6,500 ESOPs across the US will absolutely dispute that fact. Um, they're very large companies. I believe the largest ESOP in the US is the public supermarket chain with 200,000 employee owners to small ESOPs that may be under 20 uh, employees in the company. Appreciate that. Well, definitely. So, well, Danny, thank you very much. Giving us an insight, certainly into ESOPs, into parcel ESOPs and other uh, methods of uh, employee ownership, but also how we can drive and engage cultures of uh, of the portfolio companies uh, within and also private equity firms to uh, to increase uh, employee engagement and uh, employee enjoy enjoyment at the same time. So thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate this, Alex. More discourse in the, this world would get rid of the divisiveness. And if we all get to be talking about issues like this, then we're, we're just going to all have better ideas at the end of the day. Thank you. Appreciate it. And as always, thank you very much for joining us. Should you ever need support with private equity, professional hiring, or portfolio executive hiring across Europe and North America, please do reach out to us at Raw Selection. But till the next time, keep smashing it. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you.
Brilliant. Thank you very much, Daniel. That was great. Thank you.